0: Alright, well, today it's a new year, it's a new sermon series, and I'm really pumped for this sermon series, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm very excited, Um, and the sermon series that we're going to start digging into is titled Bound for Joy, and we're going to look at the book of Philippians, and the book of Philippians is a letter, it's a letter to the church at Philippi, and it's one of Paul's letters that is just filled with encouragement and joy. And that's quite amazing considering Paul is writing it from a Roman prison. And so for several weeks, we're going to just explore this letter and we're going to just kind of glean the encouragement and really dissect what does joy look like in Christ. And I think this is something that individually we need, but also something as a church that we need. And as I started studying, I realized that there was some unique... Um, similarities between us, the church at Philippi, and us here in North Andover. So Paul, again, writing from a Roman prison, it's been about 10 years since the church was planted, and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and here at North Andover, we've been here for almost 10 years, we've been a body of believers for almost 10 years, so there's a lot of similarities as we go through this. But today, some of you are probably scratching your head and saying, hey, you said we're going to be digging in the book of Philippians, why is this an Acts passage? Well, specifically, we're gonna look at the backgrounds. How did Paul end up planning a church in Philippi? And the title of today's message is, How It All Began. And I don't know if anything's ever happened to you unexpected, like you're drawn somewhere, or you go somewhere, and you're like, I don't really wanna be here, but these unexpected things happen. I'm reminded that every day. Um, I was drawn to, (laughs) to, to Iraq. I didn't think I was going to find a wife, but I found a wife in Iraq. There she is. She's mine. So so unexpected things happen on a daily basis in my household because of that. So what we're going to look at is this unexpected, these unexpected twists and turns that happened during Paul's second missionary journey that lead to a church in Philippi. Because the fact is, is God does unexpected things through us and in us when we are sensitive to his Holy Spirit. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 40. So we're going to be skipping some things, so I encourage you to read it afterwards. Let me pray and ask God to be with us. Father, we thank you for this time. Teach us the things that we do not know. May your Spirit just illuminate your truth to us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing we're going to look at is the unexpected change of plans. So in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8, we see Paul is on his second missionary journey, and he's planning churches, he's, he's going to these different communities, and he's an Asia minor, and Paul's a planner, and so he's planning, I'm going to continue my ministry in Asia, And then we read in verses 6 and 7 that God prevents Paul from entering to Asia and and planting churches churches there and doing ministry there. These doors start to close for Paul. Now, Paul must have been sitting there kind of frustrated. Like, I am just trying to do ministry. I am just trying to preach the gospel. Why are these doors being closed? And he's perplexed. He's not understanding what's going on. And then we read in verse 9 and 10 that Paul has this vision of this Macedonian man. And this Macedonian man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. I don't know if you ever had anyone beg you to help them. It's just heart-wrenching. And so Paul is at this critical decision point. He could rationalize this vision in a way that supports his plan. He could sit there and say, oh, God wants me to go to Macedonia after I go to Asia. And he could still push his plan and just kind of add God's plan on top of his. Or he could totally dismiss it and go, you know what, I've been on this missionary journey, I'm not eating well, I'm not sleeping well, so this was just a total figment of my imagination. Or he could take God at face value and be sensitive to his spirit and his leading. So how does he respond well, in verse 10 we, we read, he got ready at once. He gets his group of missionaries and they get ready at once and he's resolute on the fact that he's supposed to be preaching the gospel in Macedonia. And so he shifts his entire plan to go to Philippi. Now, this unexpected change of plans means a lot for Paul and his group of missionaries, but it also means a lot to us. And, and I don't want us to miss this, but from a redemptive history perspective... By Paul going into Macedonia, the gospel is now entering Europe for the very first time. And for Paul and his missionaries, this is uncharted waters. I mean, they're going to enter a new context of ministry, new people, new customs. They're totally dependent on the Spirit, they're totally dependent on God's leading. They don't have this figured out. All the plans in the world are not going to help them at this point in time. It's got to be kind of scary. And I know for us, especially with this new year, many of us have made, have made plans and goals and, and we have these things mapped out of what, how our year is going like, to look like, our five-year plan is going to look like. So let me ask you, how is God prompting you to make some changes? And further, if he's prompting you to make these changes, are you just, to, are you just rationalizing them to support your plan instead of his plan? Or are you dismissing them? Or are you taking him at, at his word? Now maybe you, you're sitting there and you're saying, well, how do I know it's God's plan? How do I know God is prompting me to, to do something? And that's a very good question. Because, let's face it, there's some weird weirdos out there, right? There, there's some weird people they will say, oh, God wanted me to do this. And you're like, I don't think that's God." How do we know that we don't fall into that same trap? Well, it all comes down with you have to have a good prayer life. You need to be in constant communication with God. You need to pray with Him. You need to be deep in His Word. You see, when God leads you into something, and the Holy Spirit is leading you into something, He's not going to lead you in a way that is antithetical to his word, because that's his ministry too, is the the, the word, the making of his word. So if you feel God is leading you to something, look into his word, confirm that. And if it's biblical, then you have a choice. Make the choice. God's given you that. Do it. Pray for discernment. Pray for wisdom in those things. Next thing we see is an unexpected evangelistic encounter. So, Paul and his group of missionaries end up in Philippi. We read in verse 12 that Philippi is a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Philippi is a pretty interesting place. It's an urban area, it's rich with gold, it's rich with water, and it's really at a crossroads of many um, cultures. Uh, Greek, Roman, and culture from Asia all come to this crossroads at Philippi. And If you look at the history, the Roman Emperor Augustus populated this town, this critical town, with discharged war veterans. It's a military town. This place is a military town. Now, I've lived in military towns for my whole adult life. Let me tell you a little about about military towns. They're very patriotic. There's actually money that is, is in military towns because people are usually receiving a military pension. And there's some really seedy characters in military towns. I'm not a seedy character, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. So the Philippians are extremely loyal to Rome. They're extremely loyal to Rome. And they take their Roman citizenship very seriously. And you're going to see this thread as we go through the book of Philippians. Um, Paul addresses this over and over. So then we come to verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and her members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they go to Philippi, and the first people they run into are a group of women. Now, this is a total change in Paul's ministry methodology. The way Paul would do ministry is he would go to these towns, he would go to these Jewish synagogues, and then he would preach the gospel from the synagogues. Well, there appears to be no synagogue here because anyone that believes in the God of the Bible is is meeting outside of a river, and there's only women there. In order to have a Jewish synagogue, you needed 10 men, 10 Jewish men. There appears to be no men, or not 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So he runs into this group of women, and he runs into this woman named Lydia, and Lydia is a a businesswoman. And she hears Paul preach the gospel, and it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And the fact is, is, this is how God works. Lisa just gave her testimony of the bridge ministry. And some of you started squirming in your seats. And you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how to give a gospel presentation, if you will. I'll mess it up. But that's not how God works. It doesn't matter like how we give our gospel sales pitch, if you will. Because it's not. We're just telling people the truth of the gospel. We're just telling them who Christ is. It's God who opens hearts up. We don't change hearts. God does. And so when you think about the bridge ministry, you think about these things, you're just going out there and meeting people, telling people for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and Paul that God will open up the heart. And Paul's unexpected evangelistic encounter resulted into the founding members of a church. These women are the founding members of the church at Philippi. This is just an unexpected evangelistic encounter by a river. Imagine what unexpected things God can work through you if you're obedient to his leading. Can you imagine that? It's, it's limitless. So I'm going to encourage you after the service to talk to Lisa. Also, Sharon Murphy's here. I was there when Sharon was contemplating and praying about going to India. And she went. And I want you to hear that story. So after service, listen to her story about how God led her to India. It's an amazing story. And this is nothing on Sharon. She's, not, she's special to Dan and to us because we love her. But isn't, she's not a super Christian. She's just a normal person. I'd love for you to hear a story, it's gonna be great. So, the next thing, so, that yeah, I'm excited, sorry. I mean, we could go on a tangent on this forever. <laughs> All right. Next thing we see is an unexpected personal circumstance. Unexpected personal circumstances. Verse 16, it says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So on the hills of this spiritual high with Lydia and and the rest of the women that come to know the Lord, Paul starts preaching the gospel and he runs into this slave girl. And the slave girl is possessed by a demon. And she tells the future. She has this, this, um, this ability to tell the future. Now this might seem kind of strange to us. I mean, it is kind of strange. But... The Greeks and the Romans uh, put a high value on divination. They put a high value on fortune-telling. In, in fact, military commanders wouldn't even go to battle unless they consulted an oracle first. And this being a military town, I'm sure they picked up some of that. And so, needless to say, this girl, this slave girl, is a gold mine for, for her owners. And so, we see that she follows Paul around and She's, she's kind of harassing them. But it's interesting because what she's saying isn't wrong. As a matter of fact, she's using biblical terminology. She says, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She's absolutely correct in what she's saying. What's the problem here? Why does Paul get upset? He gets upset because he knows that Oftentimes the message is confused with the messenger, and so he doesn't want any confusion to go out. He doesn't want people to be confused about the gospel, and so he 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 doesn't want nothing to hinder the gospel. So he he does the only thing that he could do, and he he casts the demon out of her. Now some of you are are sitting there and, and you're squirming already because you're like casting demons. It's we live in a supernatural world. We have to come to grips with this, and we're going to see this more as we go through the Philippians. So you, you would think that after Paul exercises this demon that people would go, wow, this girl's normal again. That's great. But instead, like this disastrous thing just happens. Paul and Silas are seized, and they're brought to the Roman magistrates, and they're illegally beaten, thrown in jail, without a proper trial. And we read in verses 20 and 21, they brought them before the magistrates and they said these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. So they're 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 seized, they're brought to the magistrates and they're charged with violating this really obscure law that was never enforced that would that forbid Roman citizens to practice foreign religion. And so they're 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 basically be calling rabble-rousers. And, and, and it's just all these things are happening. These bogus charges are put on them and, and illegal um, activities happen. And this really shows the anti-Semitic nature of that culture and really the um, anti-God um, culture. They were polytheistic, but not the God of the Bible. And I think this is a, a stern warning for us. As we preach the gospel unhindered, as people transformed by the gospel, we are going to be met with opposition. There's a supernatural battle that's taking place. We're going to be met with opposition. and We're going to see obscure laws, we're already seeing that, that claim why we can't preach the gospel here or why we can't stand up for our faith there. And so Paul comes across this. And so we see that Paul and Silas find themselves in some really unexpected personal circumstances. And the fact is, is, We too must expect unexpected personal circumstances when God calls us to something. And we can't mistake personal circumstances or bad personal circumstances for a lack of God's blessing. Many times we go and we say, oh, well, the circumstances are bad, so God must not be in this. No, God's in it. As a matter of fact, when we read the gospel message, we see that suffering precedes glory. Christ makes that clear on the cross. He suffers on the cross. Why? So he could be resurrected in glory. I mean, life is hard. Life in a fallen world is hard. And we must expect this. We must expect some personal circumstances that are tough. Christ preached that, He demonstrated that. One author puts it this way Grace is easy, life is hard. Seeking God's face in a fallen world is not the easy life. It is the good life. And a good life is always a life worthwhile of worthwhile stories and worthwhile struggles. But the question we have is, is how do we thrive through it? How do we thrive through these circumstances? And we're going to look at that in the book of Philippians. How, how, do we, how can we remain joyful in these circumstances? But I think if we get down to it, it's really resting in God. It's trusting God. It's yielding to his spirit. But that's got to be cultivated. You know, you just don't come to faith and it's like, oh, everything's fine and I could walk through fire and I'm fine. No, it's cultivated. It's cultivated through a relationship with God and resting with him and just being totally sold out for Christ and wherever he wants you. Cultivated by meditating on his word. Not just speed reading through it, but meditating on his word. It's by being in prayer. And I'm not talking about the little prayers that are two seconds and it's like rote prayers. I'm talking about your heart pouring out to God, even when you don't know what to pray for. I'm going to invite you, I mentioned this last week, but... It really starts from the basics. I'm going to invite you to be part of our Bible reading groups. So I'm going to start Bible reading groups in my office in Andover. And it's going to be before you know, the normal work day, maybe at lunch, maybe after work. We're going to figure this out if I get enough people that want to do this. And we're just going to read the Bible together and dig into the Word and just meditate it and pray together. So if you're interested in that, on those hello cards, go ahead and write what that you're interested in. I'll contact you and we'll talk through that. Also, as a group, as a corporate group of believers, we need to pray together and be there for one another. The last Sunday of every month is a corporate prayer gathering here in North Andover right after the service. So I, I encourage you to be here for that. That will cultivate that rest in God. Finally, we see an unexpected gospel opportunity. Verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas are in this prison, they're beaten. I want you to imagine this. They just wanna preach the gospel. They just wanna preach the gospel and they're dragged and they're beaten and they're probably limping, their wounds are hurting it probably hurts to sit down. It probably hurts to lean up against anything. They're, they're put in shackles, and they're put inside a prison. And this isn't a like a country club prison. This is like stone, straw, dungeony prison. So how do they respond? I'll tell you how I'd respond. I'd probably be sulking. I'm not going to lie. I'd be sitting there going, what just happened? I'd probably be figuring out my pain and touching my back. How do they respond, though? Paul and Silas respond to the injustice and persecution in a way that is completely supernatural. They're singing hymns to God. They're praising God. And we read that the other prisoners were listening to them. And the fact is that our biggest opportunity to share the gospel is most of the time with those that we don't even know are watching They're just seeing how we're responding to our personal circumstances, how we're responding to our suffering. Do we respond to our suffering in a way where we blame God, or are we responding to our suffering in a way that we praise God? not saying that everything is is roses and, and rainbows and butterflies, but it's hard. But I trust God. People want to see that response. When they, they see us respond to, responding to that, they have, they're changed. I can't articulate it in a way because some of us have witnessed people in that way, maybe someone in a hospital bed and they're praising God with their very last breath and it just has an impact on you. Verse 26 Suddenly, there was, a sudden, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, all the prisoners' doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So they're they're praising God and all of a sudden this earthquake happens and all the prisoners are released and the jailer's about ready to kill himself because in those days, if you were a jailer and your prisoners escaped, you were going to be executed. So he's like, I'm not going to get executed, I'm just going to execute myself. I'm done with this. This is crazy. But Paul says, stop. We're all here. And then something amazing happens. This jailer, this hardened jailer, starts to tremble. He's trembling. And he asks the most important question anyone could ask. He asked the one question that is the most important question that anyone can ask. <clears throat> what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And how do they respond? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that you are in need of a Savior. Believe that you are a sinner. Believe that you need to be saved. Believe that Jesus Christ came, stepped down from his throne in heaven and was born of a woman and came into our world in a natural way, lived a perfect and righteous life, was nailed to a cross, died, but was resurrected. Believe in that. And you too will be resurrected to eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he's coming back one day. Believe in that, and you will be saved. And ironically, this earthquake was not meant to release the prisoners. It was meant to release the jailer from the bondages of sin. How amazing is that? I want you to think back on your faith journey. Think back about how God has brought you. God shifts the entire course of the world to draw you to himself. Think about that. Think about what he's done. He shifted your itinerary. He shifted weather. He shifted all of these things to draw you to himself. That's what God does. I want, you, I want to encourage you to look back on that and meditate on that, on how God has drawn you to himself. Maybe you're saying, I'm not there yet. Well, you're here. God drew you here. Was this on your mind? 1 month ago, 2 months ago, 3 months ago that you'd be sitting here in this pew listening to this guy talk about this. Finally we read in Acts 35 1635 we read When it was daylight the magistrates sent their officials to the jailer with the order release those men. The jailer told Paul the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out to the prison, and they went to Lydia's house, and they met with the other brothers and sisters, encouraged them, and they left. So what's happening here? So, the jailer finds out that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, and tells the magistrates this. Now, this wigs the magistrates out. Because they are Roman citizens, they were were supposed to get a proper trial, and they could get an a lot of trouble for this. And so the magistrates are like, just tell him to leave. We're sorry. Just tell him to leave. And Paul's like, no. No, they need to come tell me that to my face. I'm a Roman citizen. They need to tell me. Now, on the surface, that might look like Paul's just being kind of arrogant and stubborn. Like if it was me, maybe I'd be like, all right, you just beat me. I'm out of here. Like, I'm done. But he says, no, I want to talk to them. But in a cultural way, this makes sense. In the first century, honor and shame were a big deal. And Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and they were publicly shamed, as was the ministry of the gospel. And so Paul wants public vindication, not for themselves, but for the gospel. He wants legal protection and legitimization for the gospel. He wants them to recognize what they're doing. He's saying, listen, what we're doing is not wrong, and you need to recognize that. You've shamed it, but it's not shameful. You need to recognize that. And what he's doing is he's securing securing future protections for that. And I'm going to tell you, this spoke volumes to this veteran society, this veteran population. Because one thing veterans are, they're proud. And they stand for what's right. And they stand for it. I mean, they don't always stand for what's right. But what they believe is right, they'll stand for it. And they'll die for it. And so when they see these men, these, these missionaries stand for what they believe, they're like, Wow, this is real. This is real. The fact is, is we are citizens of heaven, but we're called to stand for justice in accordance to God's word and establish this culture of legitimacy for the gospel. That's why it's important that we take ownership of our front lines in ministry. That's why that's so important. God has you where he wants you so he can bring transformation to where he has you for the legitimacy of the gospel. So this is how it all began. This is as we enter into the book of Philippians, this is how it all began. And if we look if we take a, a, a snapshot of this, we see that the result of Paul and his missionaries being open to the unexpl- unexpected plans of God was that the gospel was being preached on a new continent, a new church was planted, and the gospel, that future church, that would be preaching the gospel, was given protection and legitimacy by the city officials. God took this unexpected population, this population of veterans, hardcore Roman loyalists, um, anti-Semitic people, And he transformed them to a faith community that loved Jesus and became their biggest supporters. Became the biggest supporter of Paul's ministry of proclaiming the gospel. So this is the big thing. God does these unexpected things. So I'm going to encourage you, start reading Philippians now. Start reading it. Just keep rereading it as we go through this. And you're going to draw these things out. And I think this journey is going to be great. I'm excited for it. So... Let's buckle up and let's do that. I'm excited, so let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. and I just thank you for all the unexpected things that you do. We love you, Lord, and we pray that if there's anyone in here that um, is worried about the next step of their faith journey, the next step of what you're calling them to, that you would confirm it. To them through your word and prayer and even through the testimony of others lord so we love you we ask that you would be glorified in jesus name amen